podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC and your daily reminder that the Reds are top of the league. What the Reds are not top of, though, is the chart of finding good loans for young players. Uh, We've already seen a stream of Liverpool players return to the club this month after failed loans. And it looks like Billy Camejo will be the next one to come back. Now, his loan at Dunkirk has been very up and down. They're not very good. He hasn't played very well. He's been in and out of the team, but he did play for them in their last game before the winter break that they've taken France. But apparently now he's not turned up a training the last couple of days, so it is expected that he will return to Liverpool. It's also expected that Calvin Ramsey may well return to Liverpool, having not really gotten much opportunity at Preston. Uh, I would imagine Ramsey would go straight back out on loan unless they decide to loan Connor Bradley, uh, which is very possible now that he's fully fit and back to health. He had a very good loan last season. I'd imagine there's a couple of promotion-chasing championship sides that might have an interest in Connor Bradley. can play as a fullback and as a wingback, so he has that versatility and flexibility that could fit at a number of different clubs. So if he goes and Ramsey comes back, that might be might be the play. Obviously, do it late in the window when we're past the next round of the FA Cup, past the next Fulham game in the League Cup, because it's very unlikely that he would start or be involved in the League Cup final. And with Robbo and Costas coming back, I think it's quite unlikely he would play in the league as well because we'll have Trent... And then Joe Gomez will be freed up to play at right back. So if if Ramsey comes back, you could just keep him. And if an emergency strikes, you've got him to play. I assume Owen Beck will go on loan again as well. But do you think it will have been beneficial to him to have come back to the club, been around the first team, been involved in match day squads? I'd like to see him play. I'd like to see him get that game against Norwich or Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup. And then send him back to Dundee. He was doing really well there before we recalled him. Send him back there. Let him finish out his season. And then you reassess in the summer. Uh, One player who has been loaned out is Luke Chambers. He's gone to Wigan. I think that's a pretty good loan for him. Now, they're not having a particularly good season. uh, But they did give United a bit of problems. A bit of problems, that's not English. A bit of trouble in the recent FA Cup game between them, and we saw 
Bruno Fernandes having to do himself a big dive to win a penalty um, just to secure a 2-0 win. But they are 18th in the championship. They are four teams go down. So they're three spots above the relegation zone and four points above the relegation zone. Now, Cambridge are level on points with them, but have a game in hand. You know, as an aside, if you have a a subscription to The Athletic, there's a piece that was written in the last couple of days about Reading and what's gone on with them. And I do just highly recommend that everybody go and read it and see the perils of bad ownership. And if you ever wonder why things like profit and sustainability exist, it's because of clubs like Reading. It's because of clubs like Portsmouth, which, again, you can go and read plenty about, but like, what's going on at Reading? They were obviously in the Premier League, what, 15 years ago or so? Not even. I don't even think it's that long since they were in the Premier League last. They got relegated. They spent a long time in the Championship, but they always were sort of a mid-table, you know, borderline playoff team. But in the last few years, under the ownership of this die young character, it's just been an abomination. And they had multiple point deductions last season, which is what got them relegated. They've had a points deduction already this season. It's the third season in a row they've actually had points deducted. They're facing another one um, if they fail to to meet wage uh, wage deadlines. They've had to borrow money from some of their sponsors just to pay their wage bill. They've had to make an assistant manager and a player development coach redundant in the last little while, as well as a bunch of other staff. There was a story in that article in The Athletic about how the staff are sitting around having to wear their coats inside because they can't afford to put the heating on. Like, this is a... Reading are a big club. They're a big club. Like, what on earth is going on? This is one of the things that really gets to me about when I see people whinging and moaning. Like, you have to remember, under Hicks and Gillette, we were heading in that direction. Now, not to that extent, obviously, but we were facing administration and we were facing a points deduction and we were managed by Roy Hodgson and all of those things combined could have led to a very, very ugly thing for us. So I I don't buy into the FSG saved Liverpool thing. But when I look at the stability of our club and I look at healthy balance sheets and I look at, you know, what is a very good team with a great manager and some of the best players to ever play in the Premier League, I do, you know, just sort of settle my own head whenever I start to get wound up about the owners being cheap, and they are cheap. We know they're cheap. But Jürgen knows they're cheap as well, and he keeps signing extensions. So, like, it's fairly clear he's not being let down by them if he's more than happy to continue working under them. And rumours suggest that another contract extension could be in the offing to keep him at the club till 2028. So he'll get a, you know, with a bit of luck, he'll get three non-Guardiola Premier League years could potentially fill his boots with some with some trophies in that time. Because 
regardless of who City appoint after Pep, even with the cheating and the money, they're not going to be quite as good. They're not going to have the same draw for players without Pep there. In the same way, we won't have the same draw without Jurgen, but we'll have more of a draw than them because we're still Liverpool and they're still a small cheating bunch of cunts. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but anyway, go back to back to the point. Read that piece about Reading. And also read up on Wigan and what's happened to them in the last few years. Because it's been really, really hard as a neutral, as a, as a fan of football in general, to sit and look at what's happened to them and what happened to Bolton and a bunch of other clubs who we all saw playing the Premier League for many years. And now you see them just flailing about in League One. Now, Portsmouth and Bolton are first and second in League One this year, but and Derby are fourth. There's three clubs that have really been through the mire. So if any Reading fan does mistakenly hear this, uh, just be aware, like it, it can turn itself around. New ownership, a bit of stability, you can be all right. Hopefully, Luke Chambers can go to uh, Wigan and help drive them up the table a little bit. He had a really good loan up in Scotland last year. Didn't look quite ready for the level required for Liverpool, but clearly a very talented player. And fingers crossed, he has a good loan and um, it benefits everybody involved. Now, we do have one question uh, for today. It's from the Mixtape Manifesto. That's at the MT Manifesto on Twitter. Just a little question for you to chew on. Who do you think is the best Liverpool side to never win us a trophy? Could also just be best player to... Okay, um, I think <clears throat> the best team I've seen not win us a trophy is the late era Benitez team. Obviously, we win European Cup and FA Cup under Rafa 05-06. That's pre-Mascherano. It's pre-Torres. I think that 07 to 09 Rafa team. I know we got the Champions League final in 07, Mashkin on loan before Nando arrived. But the two years after that is what I would look at. I, I think that's a really, really good team. If we go back and take a look, obviously we know we had a really good goalkeeper in Pepe Reina. This was Reina. At his best, he obviously fell off quite drastically kind of post-2010. But Reyna was a very, very good goalkeeper and one of the best in the league. We had Steve Finnan and Ar Ar Alvaro Arbeloa as right-back options. We had John Arnorisa. This is 07-08. Uh, John Arnorisa and Fabio Aurelio as left-back options. We also had Emiliano Insua. So, well-stocked at fullback, even if Finland was probably declining at that point, Arby was excellent. At centre-back, you had Agar, you had Skirtle, you had Carragher, you had Hippia. As I look at that, that's a really good defensive group. A really, really good defensive group. 
Midfield, you've got Alonso, you've got Mascherano. I I think Rafa made a mistake in letting Momo Sissoko leave the club. Because I think for depth, he was really good to have. And when you look at the other options there, it's not great. Like, young Jay Spearing, I mean, you know, Ray Puteril. Who? Ryan Flynn. I mean, these, these lads went on and had, you know, solid lower league careers. Uh, Ryan Flynn, I think, is playing. He's playing in Scotland, but I can't think who for. I know I saw his name somewhere recently. We had Damien Plassis, <clears throat> who looked like he was going to be a big talent, but his career petered out. He kind of drifted around. We didn't have the depth in centre midfield that you would have liked. We had Dirk Couch and Jermaine Pennant as options on the right wing. We had Yossi Benayoun, could play left wing, could play as a 10. We had Nabil Elzar. We had Ryan Babel, who Rafa never got the best out of. No one at Liverpool got the best out of. You could argue nobody ever really got the best out of Ryan Babel. We had Gerard as the 10. Obviously, you don't have cover for a player that good. We had Torres up front. We had Peter Crouch and we had Varnan. Like, that's a hell of a squad. You also had Harry Kuehl there. That is a really, really strong squad. Now, injuries and other things have to be taken into account, but that old 7-0-8 squad is, is really strong. You also had Lucas Leiva, who's probably the reason we sold Momo Sissoko. Another reason not to like Lucas Leiva. Um... I always thought if Rafa had gone to a 4-3-3, that would have been a better group, a better use of that group than the, the 4-2-3-1. If he'd gone Gerard and Mascherano either side of Alonso, just let Alonso sit in and dictate games, let Gerard attack from the right, have Mascherano play more like N'Golo Kante in a left-sided role, just with the freedom to go and win the ball and do his thing. And then the front three, out as an inside right forward, which is where he played for the Netherlands, Babel as an inside left forward, which is where he played for the Netherlands and was really good, and then Torres through the middle. That, to me, I've always felt would have worked better than the 4-2-3-1. Now, the 4 3 one obviously worked, but it didn't win us anything. 07, 08, we finish fourth. We get to the fifth round of the FA Cup, the quarterfinals of the League Cup and the semifinals of the Champions League. And Rafa always talked about, you know, the blanket, how when you pull it up to cover your shoulders, it leaves your feet exposed. That team didn't really have that issue all that much. We had good depth in defence. We had good depth in attack. Had he kept Momo, I think we would have had enough in midfield to get by. You remember we went out in the Champions League in the semi-finals, losing to Chelsea 3-2 after extra time. 
they went on and lost to United in the final. Now, United were great that year. But I really do think we could have beaten them in a Champions League final. We just had something about us in Europe under Rafa. And we had a you know pretty good record against United at the time. How did we do against them in the league that year? We lost 3-0 at Old Trafford, so that's not great. Um, but that's the game Mascherano was sent off, that bullshit decision, where Torres was getting kicked up in the air. Mascherano had already been booked for nonsense. He went over and asked the referee, why have you not booked them for kicking us relentlessly? And then the ref sent him off for dissent. And then he lost his head. Um So that's that one. When do we play them in the league at Anfield that year? Oh, we lost 1-0 at home that year. Oh, Tevez is, yeah, 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 yeah. I still still maintain that was an outstanding Liverpool team. Maybe one player short. If we'd had a better left back, because I really liked Arbeloa, Carragher and Agger. Agger's injuries obviously were, were an issue. But Carragher and Agger was a great centre-back pairing. We'd had a better left-back. Risa was too inconsistent. Aurelio was too injury-prone. And Insua just, you know, was too young. If we'd had a better left-back, I think we'd have been very, very close. But we had decent left-backs. So that year we were excellent and should have won something. The following year, we finished second in the league. We go out of both domestic cups in the fourth round. We get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. And if you look at the business we did that summer, like from that squad that we have, we sell Peter Crouch. I think that was a mistake. Harry Q leaves in a free. That's fine. Scott Carson is sold. I think that was a mistake, though he did want to go and play. Risa was sold. Latalak was sold. He'd been out on loan. Steve Finnan left. But it's what we brought in that was just not good enough. You know, we spent eight million on Albert Riera. He was okay, but he wasn't really an answer to any problem. The answer to that left-sided problem was to play Ryan Babel and play him narrower and use that eight million on a left back. Instead, we spent seven million on DeSena, who was dreadful. I know he scored those goals, I know he had that great week, but he was dreadful. If we'd spent 15 million on a really, really good left back, we'd have been much better off. Also didn't help that we spent 20 million on Robbie Keane and then Rafa binned him after six months. And I don't want to hear the excuses. Oh, well, he thought he was getting Gareth Barry. Yeah, he thought he was selling Jabby Alonso. That's what he thought was happening. And then he thought he was going to get Gareth Barry and play him on the left. He was going to play Gareth Barry left side of midfield. Gareth Barry is a defensive midfielder or centre-back. And Rafa thought he was going to revolutionise things playing him off the left. So I don't want to hear that excuse. Rafa cocked up that season. And we were winning the league until he decided to go on his facts rants and got in Ferguson's head. And Ferguson just did what he does. But that was an outstanding Liverpool team that should have won something. Far too many excuses made. And by selling Crouch, when Torres misses 14 games, 
you don't have anyone decent to put up front. So David Ngog plays, and in 14 games, he scores two goals. Bad decisions are why we didn't win in those years. As for, now I know he was working on a tight budget, but that doesn't mean you had to sell players that you needed. There was other drafts you could have sold, but they were some of your favourites. Couldn't sell the made men. The disciples, the lads that kissed your arse in training. Couldn't sell them at the sell players we actually needed. I'm still not over it. Still not over it. Um, best player not to win anything for us, Torres. Torres followed by Mascherano, but Torres, he was the best striker in the world for a good chunk of his time at the club. And uh, we won nothing with him. So, you know. Uh, Liverpool can make multi-million profit in Dominic Solanke transfer to Newcastle. Um, There is a considerable sell-on clause, I believe, in that contract that he has, uh, or in our agreement with with Bournemouth. Um, A 20% sell-on clause. So if the tune were to pay 40 million, that's a 16 million profit. So we would get 3.2 million. If they were to get, you know, a 50 or 60 million pound fee, then obviously that fee goes up. So that could be a very beneficial uh, little bit of business that Michael Edwards did. We already sold him for a lot more than he was worth at the time. It's taken him a long time to find the level of form he's found this season. And, uh, we might be rewarded again. Liverpool will love managers' plans for perfect 10, Fabio Carvalho. Uh, Liam Rossinier, obviously new manager of Fabio at Hull, and he has a very, very straightforward plan, which is to put him into the 4-2-3-1 off the striker and let him do what he was doing at Fulham um, and take advantage of his immense talent. So, yeah, I, I, I think... He's probably not going to get. He's probably not going to get much of an opportunity at Liverpool, but I do think a good loan there will see him. We'll see him grow his value, and then we'll be able to sell him at a good price. We only paid what five million for him, so fingers crossed we can. We can make good money on him down the road. Uh, there's a couple of pieces on Cody Gakbo as well, one by David Lynch, so do check those out. Newcastle trapped by spending rules, could be forced to sell Liverpool target. That Liverpool target is, of course, Bruno Gomerish. Newcastle have spent £416.5 million on 13 first-team players in the last two and a half years. But you will have people try and tell you that they haven't really spent money yet. Um, and they've sold four players for approximately £44 million. So that's a considerable, a considerable amount of spending. And one of the players sold was Chris Wood, who they spent £25 million on. And then 18 months later, sold them for 15 million. So, you know, no profit to be had there. But a couple of the higher ups at Newcastle 
have, you know, bemoaned the FFP rules. And look, the truth of it is that Newcastle, unfortunately for them, are paying the price for Manchester City's 15 years of cheating. That's that's what's going on. Newcastle are being punished. Newcastle and others are being punished for Manchester City cheating. But Newcastle in particular, because of the ownership situation and the similarities between the ownership situation at City. Um, so the chief executive, Darren Eels, has told reporters that the club's latest accounts mean that they might have to look at churning players to comply with profit and sustainability rules. And he basically said, if you sell a £50 million player and bring in an identical one for £50 million on the same wages, but you can amortise it across five years, that's only £10 million a year, so you're creating £40 million of headroom. If you're churning players, you create more headroom. He says, every player has a price. If we're going to get to where we want to go, at times it's necessary to trade your players. They've got, they've got two that I think will attract a lot of interest in Alexander Isak and Bruno Gomerich. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if, let's say Mbappe decides to re-up at PSG and stay there. It wouldn't surprise me if Real had a look at Isak. I, I think he's a really special talent who could fit well there. And when you've got Vinicius on one wing, say... Rodrigo on the other, and Jude Bellingham playing behind. You've got three goal scorers there, and Isak is outstanding at bringing others into the play and creating space for them. So he could aid and abet all of them, and that as a front four could be quite interesting and quite good. Gamerish is the other one. And there's definitely been Liverpool interest for a long time. And according to multiple reports, we did inquire in the summer and we're told there's no no way we're selling. So he has since signed a new deal. There is reportedly a buyout in that deal. There are reports that that buyout is unique in that it can be paid in installments. It doesn't need to be paid in one go. And there are also rumours. Now, these are only rumours. These are only rumours that there's actually two buyouts. There's the £100 million buyout if they're a European Cup team. So if they finish in the top four, it's £100 million to buy him out of his Newcastle deal. But the rumour is that if they don't, that buyout drops. I have no idea what it would drop to. 60, 70, 80. But if there is... A non-Champions League buyout that's about seventy million, and it can be paid in installments. That then becomes a very feasible deal for us to do. He's a hell of a player. Is he the perfect number six? No, because he's not really a number six. But since joining the Toon, he's been there two years now. He has played almost exclusively as a six. And across that two years, only Rodri has been better than him in the league. And he does have a lot of similar traits to Rodri. 
I think he's a better passer of the ball than Rodri. Rodri's a slightly better defensive player. But Bruno Gomerich is a great player. And last season, I thought he was the best player in the league from August to February when he picked up that thigh injury and then he played through that until the end of the season. Like, he's a tough boy as well. And he's snidey. And he's a bit of a shithouse. He dabbles in the dark arts. So he does fit the number six position quite well. He's really, like, he is very good defensively. Rodri's obviously incredible defensively, but Gamera is, is very, very good in that role from a defensive point of view. Where he's not ideal is we already have Trent as a playmaker in a double pivot. Now, potentially we do want two of them to, you know, take some of the burden off Trent. I feel like just, you know, a straight ball winner might be a better fit with Trent. But you're not going to find a better player than Gamerish to go into our team. And if we have him as the starting six with Endo as depth, and then we have Dominic, Alexis and Curtis as our eights, that's a really strong group. Plus Besetic, plus Clark. Who am I missing? Plus Gravenberg. Uh, plus Harvey, you know, because he does play in midfield. Um, that's a really strong group. We'd be in great shape for a long time. That's that's a midfield you're not going to need to touch for a long time, other than you maybe Endo moves on and you bring someone else in to replace him. I'd love to add Archie Gray to that mix. I'd love to add Archie Gray and have him develop behind Gamerish into that role. Because Archie Gray is young enough, big enough, powerful enough, and talented enough, and well-rounded enough that you could make him into an unbelievable six. Archie Gray has all the tools. But, you know, we could probably only afford to do both if Gamerish does have that lower buyout. Um... And then that just leaves us needing to sort out a couple of other things, you know, centre back, left back, left wing, ideally. You can do them over the rest of that window and the summer, um, or the and the January rather. So yeah, Gamerish does. I think he does make a lot of sense for us. Um, like I say, he's not he's not the perfect fit, but he might be the perfect player. Um. On to Liverpool.com. Chelsea make feelings clear before FFP reckoning, but Liverpool transfer race could still bite. The Premier League will soon inform clubs of any FFP concerns that have. Chelsea thinks it's safe, but an arms race at Liverpool could affect, could have long-term effects. That's about the Caicedo deal. Uh, Chelsea might be okay this year. Next year, they are going to be screwed. Their accounts are going to be hilarious, genuinely hilarious. Liverpool is pressing monster rivaling peak Roberto Firmino. Uh, that is about Darwin. Chelsea has 66 million bid rejected for Liverpool transfer target as Spurs, 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 Spurs join Morton Friendrup race. Uh, so the Liverpool transfer target, who's that? 
Frendrup would make some sense for Spurs, actually. He'd fit well as a kind of backup midfielder there. Um, oh, apparently Chelsea made a £52 million bid for Antonio Silva. I, I wouldn't imagine we'll actually go for him personally. He's got a buyout of 100 and, 101 or £102 million. I don't think we'll be paying that for someone who's got less than ideal size at centre back. Like he's, you know, he's under the six foot three threshold that Jurgen likes to find his centre backs in. Um, there is a piece about Mbappe, a piece about Andre for some reason. There's a piece about Mohamed Salah and Jamie Carragher. A piece about Xabi Alonso. Liverpool confirms latest transfer deal as amazing talent Javi Alonso wanted takes in its next step. Let's have a look at that. And another piece about Frendrup wrongly being compared to N'Golo Kante. Um, a piece about Virgil. A piece of Mikel Antonio making a tit of himself. Uh, probably a piece about water being wet as well. Um Oh, it's about Luke Chambers. It's about Luke Chambers going on loan, that Alonso piece. That's okay. Yeah, because Alonso apparently wanted to sign him in the summer. So that's um, it's a good sign for him. It's a really good sign. Alonso really does seem to be a very special managerial talent. On to AnfieldIndex.com. We have a piece about the Loan system, there's a piece about Calvin Ramsey, a piece about Darwin, a piece about Liverpool 2.0, and a piece about Darwin. There is no new podcasts. There are a bunch recorded and ready to go. So they'll come out over the next couple of days. And there'll probably be something later on today. And then we'll have stuff over the weekend and we'll have, you know, We'll we'll fill the space between now and Bournemouth as best we can. Um, yeah, that's all I have today. I've gone quite long today, so it's you know not too bad. I'll see you all on Monday. Enjoy a stress-free weekend. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.